Okay, welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. And uh, this week we have Tim Corcoran joining us from Master Investor. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming Master Investor show. I cannot believe that it's actually a year since the last one. It seems to me like three months ago. Um, but um, welcome to the show, Tim. And uh, great to be talking to you today about what's going to be happening on the show. Thank you for having me. As you say, it, 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 t- time flies. I think because we start planning the next one as soon as the uh, the last one is finished, it, it always feels as though we're, we're either um, sort of executing or planning for a Master Investor show. It never really goes away. It's such a big, big event. It takes a, a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's happening in London. Um, it's it's a um, it's an actual physical event um, for private investors. Um, and can you tell us when it's happening? Yes, I can. So it's the 18th of March, which is a Saturday. The idea being that you can fit it around the day job um, if, if you have one. Um, so the, uh, the Business Design Centre in Islington. So it's just a, a few hundred yards from Angel Tube. So hopefully it's relatively easy to get to. And as you say, it's, it, it's an in-person event. It's a chance to actually see people um, I think I, I've probably bored you with this in the past, but the chance for private investors to physically meet and speak to the leadership of publicly listed companies, uh, it, it's relatively rare. Um, you know, institutional investors take that for granted, and it's a key part of doing their due diligence when they think about investing in a company. Um, it, so it gives our, our, our attendees a chance to, to look the, the sort of the CEOs and financial directors of, of these companies in the eye and you know, to an extent, I think that they will invest in the, the people as much as the company. You want, you want to sort of have faith that these people will be able to execute the strategies they're laying out. So hopefully it's a golden opportunity for private investors to um, you know, do their due diligence and, and sort of get ready for, for, for the next 12 months. And last time I remember, because I was, I was um, at the show and we had, a, we had a booth there as well, and we actually had the opportunity to speak to a lot of our our readers and a lot of other investors who hadn't come across the armchair trader before. Um, and one of the interesting things about it last year was that it was the first event that you had done since the end of the pandemic. It's a little bit difficult to say when the official end of the pandemic <laughs> is. And uh, the a lot of people were just venturing out for the first time um, to actually start meeting companies and meeting fund managers um, there was really an impression of, you know, people emerging, blinking into the light and, and seeing what the new reality of investing um, was going to be like. And uh, obviously, since that event last year, um, it's certainly been a, a turbulent time in terms of uh, the markets, um, both on the small cap side and, and elsewhere. Um, I wanted to sort of basically ask you a little bit more about who is going to be presenting there and who people who go along to the event um, are likely to be meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the companies um, that you've already got there? Well, obviously what we always try to do is to make sure we've got something for everyone. So there's a a real range of companies, a range of speakers of investment types and opportunities. Um, So we've got, as you say, AIM has had a sort of a fairly turbulent 12 months but the, within the sort of the um, the general turbulence there has been some really strong performances and I'm pleased to say we've got companies like Bloomsbury Publishing to their CEO Nigel Newton 
uh, is going to be speaking. So, but Bloomsbury won out. Uh, they won the small cap company of the year uh, last year, and they've they've gone from strength to strength since. Um, I think last time I checked, they were up uh, in the last twelve months. They were up a further fifteen percent, having been up, I think probably twenty percent or something like that the year before. So, there are good companies out there. So we've got people like Nigel. We've got other really interesting companies like Poolbeg Pharma. Um, Agronomics. So agronomics were very popular last year, and I think we've got um, Anthony Chow will be speaking again about sort of the investments that they've been making and the sort of the progress that's being made by their, their portfolio companies. Um, we've got other really interesting companies. There's a company called Mind Gym um, who've been involved with with the show in the past. Who, frankly, they're, they're quite different from almost any other company out there. And I think that they will make for an interesting uh, conversation for anyone that's able to to have a chat with them. And then we've got. Perhaps I guess the sort of the more traditional sort of mining stocks. We've got people like Panther Metals, Condor Gold, Dark Mining. Um, I think certainly the the sort of things like the, the gold performance over the last twelve months. It was interesting. I think it, it seems to have almost exactly matched the late, the rate of inflation over the last twelve months. Everyone knows it's a good hedge, um, and the gold miners are a good way of tapping into that. So we've got a number of them coming along with some really promising uh, projects. Uh, at the same time, we've, we've got a number of trusts and funds speaking. So I'm really pleased to say we've got JP Morgan uh, as a, a headline sponsor for the event. Um, they're bringing along um, some of their fund managers to, to talk about their investment approach. So uh, Helga Skibelli and, and Guy Anderson um, will be speaking on the main stage. I think they will have uh, some really useful insights for, for, uh, for our audience. Uh, I think uh, Guy went down really well last year, so I think he will do again. Um, then you look at sort of more broadly, there are sort of alternative investments where I think there has been a, a renewed interest, partly because of that sort of turbulence in the public markets that you, you alluded to. Um, so we've got crypto and blockchain companies like Global Block and Lingo. Uh, we've got art investment. There's a really interesting company called Mintus who are going to be uh, participating. So they offer fractional investment into, into art, which... Um, it, it's difficult to sort of do a direct comparison, but it, it appears that the art market has been going from strength to strength in recent years. I saw something about last year was a, a record-breaking year for sort of um, sort of art gallery sort of auctions and that sort of thing. So um, there the, the should be, I would hope, something for everyone. We're also, for the first time, going to be featuring um, what I, I've loosely termed the pre-IPO zone. Um, there's probably a more catchy title I could come up with, but... There has been a stronger interest, I think, in the last six to 12 months in unlisted stocks, uh, you know, smaller companies with significant growth potential, pardon me, significant growth potential. Um, and so we've got some absolutely fant- fantastic companies who are sort of working towards potentially future IPOs that are fundraising at the moment and are open to sort of crowdfunders and other, other sort of EIS um, suitable investments. And some of the, the, the products and the services they have to offer are completely different from anything that you'll see out there. It's really um, it's quite a fascinating um, area to, to, to be um, investigating right now. What do you think is driving that? Because I'm hearing that from other quarters of the industry, that there's more private investors are getting more interested in the whole unlisted assets. Um, is, it, is it because they feel that you're getting into the business at a much earlier stage of its growth. So you're, you're ahead, even well ahead of even the, um, you know, any IPO that the management team might be considering. 
I think that's definitely part of it. So I, I think the potential for high growth, and it's one of the reasons a lot of people come to the show, is looking for those high growth opportunities. And clearly, if you get in earlier, um, the potential for, for, for high growth is even greater. Um, there is also the technological factor. There are platforms and companies out there that make it easier than ever for private investors to get involved with these companies. I think if you go back a few years, it was much harder. Um, so you, you've got platforms like Cedars, for example, uh, where people can get on board and, and invest in these companies relatively easily. Um, so I, I think it's, it's that that meeting of probably the, the, the sort of the, uh, the the two trends, and then there's also the fact that with the public markets having had a, a sort of slightly up and down period, people have probably sort of given a bit more thought to, to, to what else is out there and sort of broadening their their portfolios. There has been a, a, a real lack of decent IPOs coming through, um, particularly in the UK market. Different if you look at other markets like you know India or the Middle East, or um, we've even seen a few coming out in the US. But but in the in the UK, it's been a little bit of a desert at the moment. Do you anticipate that's going to change? Are you hearing anything from from where you're sitting? I, I, to be honest, I think there are a lot of people who are sort of waiting for the right time. Um, I, I think there are still. It, I think I saw a statistic saying they were down something like ninety percent. Uh, on, on certainly on, on sort of London Stock Exchange. At the same time, you've got places like Aquis, however, which have, have actually grown the number of IPOs. I think they had more IPOs than than, than the London Stock Exchange did last year. Um, so people are looking at alternative ways of getting funding, but there are, my impression at least, is a lot of companies that do want to go public, but are probably looking at thinking, well, if I bide my time, uh, give it sort of six, 12 months, there might be a more... Um, sort of positive environments in which to do it. In the meantime, they're looking at private equity, which admittedly has dried up a little bit. They're looking at alternatives like the crowdfunding and the EIS schemes to keep them ticking over um, so that you know they can extend that runway until the time is right. And so for people getting involved in that pre-IPO stage, it potentially gives them a chance to buy a future public company before it's public. Yes, I do get that. I do get that feeling that there are a lot of... Um... IPOs, new listings that are being held back, including some fairly large ones, um, uh, because it's considered that the market's still not right. But um, with any luck, we'll see a change of, it seems to be more of a change of sentiment since the start of the year. Um, For investors in things like crypto and digital assets, um, you've mentioned the the, um, art opportunity already. Is there anything else um, along those lines that you're going to have at the at the show in March? Well, certainly we're, we're, we've still got people coming in, but we're looking at um, there are other alternative investments like property and wine and things like that, which people will hopefully be able to have a look at. We've got an interesting company uh, specialising in collectibles, um, which is a, again it's, it's quite different from anything we, I think we've had before, but as a as a hedge. I think it, it's it's something that people should really consider. Um, so there's certainly that on the crypto side of things. I mean, if you think the public markets have been turbulent, the crypto has, has um, put it to shame in that regard. But we've got we've got a company called Global Block coming along, who are one of the one of the more interesting ones. The thing I like about Global Block is because they are publicly listed, unlike a lot of these others, they do have a greater degree of transparency and responsibility you, you see the way some of the these sort of crypto platforms have behaved and it's it's appalling frankly um the thing i i like about global block is is that they do need 
to sort of conform to, to sort of the behaviors of a PLC because they, they are they are a publicistic company and so that they um, they, they, they instill a degree of confidence um, it, that your, your assets aren't going to get sort of messed about by, by some cowboy who, who's, who's bought his own private island. <laughs> I wanted to also ask you about um, investor sentiment. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, last time we had the Master Investor Show, there was very much an impression of people a little bit shell-shocked, just coming back out. We had seen some huge gyrations in the market during the pandemic. Um, since then, over the last year, obviously, there's been the war in Ukraine. Inflation has really picked up quite considerably. Um, do you think that that's changing the way private investors are approaching the market? And do you think that's going to be a big theme at the show this year? Yes and yes. Um, my impression from speaking to some of our own audience and speaking to others uh, sort of around and about is I think for a long time, to an extent, we had it fairly easy. You know, the, the, the stocks just kept going up, particularly sort of um, certain kinds of tech stock, for example. Um, I think the last 12 months have, have perhaps been a sort of a, a slight sort of reminder that you need to have a broader portfolio, that you, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, I think you need to look at the fundamentals of companies, um, you know, more than perhaps people were doing previously. Um, are they profit making? What's the likelihood of them making a profit in the near future? Um, and I, I think because of that, probably there is a, a, a slightly reigning, slight reigning in of, of sort of the, the, the time frames in which people are looking at these companies. Um, if a company isn't making a profit, yeah, that, that's not the be all and end all, but you have to be able to see a realistic time frame for when it is going to be making a profit. Um, and I think that that has certainly been factored in more that doesn't mean that people shouldn't be looking at future growth tech stocks because as i say you need that balance you need to be looking at sort of short term mid-term long term um and you also need to be looking more widely so you, you, your your investment portfolio should hopefully contain a bit of everything um and you're well balanced regardless of, of what comes i think it's interesting i was talking to someone the other day who had looked at their pension and they, they'd, they'd <laughs> despite putting in quite a lot of money into their pension, it had actually decreased in value, um, which I think is a shock to a lot of people. And I think the best way of remedying that is to do your due diligence. It's something that Jim Mellon says a lot. You know, he says, be curious, do your research. Um, and if you do that, then the investments you make will be hopefully more sensible, better judged investments. Uh, I wanted to ask you about mining. You've, you've mentioned gold already. Um, obviously, mining is a huge subset of the small cap sector, um, particularly on the UK market, even more dominant in areas like the Australian market and, and the Canadian market. Are you, are you, firstly, are you anticipating having having mining stocks, a lot of mining stocks there? And, and then secondly, what do you yourself think about the, the sector right now because we we're seeing a lot of great opportunities there um and not just sort of traditional gold mining but for example in, in the sort of battery metal space yet the valuations still seem crazily cheap it's like investors are not prepared to take the plunge with mining at the moment yet some of them seem to me like you know they could easily be, be a sort of at least five bagger or something like that um going forward particularly in spaces like you know, lithium. 
What's what's your take on that? No, I, I completely agree. You've got things like copper and lithium, and we're going to have uh, companies who, who are sort of uh, working on both uh, at the event. And as you say, it, I think it's a buying opportunity. I think people have been perhaps a little bit nervous, and there may well be people out there who don't fully understand the the opportunity and what it looks like. The beauty of things like copper and lithium is you can see a very clear model. You can see who's going to buy it, roughly what the likely cost of buying it will be, and you can extrapolate from that. You've got reasonably clear timeframes of when you can expect these things to be out of the ground and, and producing. Um, so to, to be honest, I think mining has always been a strong area of interest for our audience. I get the impression that there is significant potential there. As you say, I don't think the valuations have reflected it yet. Um, but it means if, if now is probably a good time to to to, to look into this in, in greater depth. No, I would I would I would certainly agree, and and I wanted to ask you also about something you mentioned earlier on, which is the fractionalization of investment. I mean, ultimately, traditionally, investors in assets, investors in companies have gone down the usual route of, you know, I, I like the look of this company, I'll buy shares in it. That gives me a in effect, share in that business. Um, we've seen some progress in fractionalization where some of the more expensive US stocks uh, have been made available by some of the brokers on a fractionalized basis so that someone doesn't have to fork out 200 or $300 <laughs> just for one share in the company. They can actually get in at a, at a much lower um, price point. Do you anticipate that we could see more happening in that space where where investors can be can actually buy private companies or, or um, assets, for example, like real estate, without having to go down the traditional share trading or fund investment route. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the technology is there now, and to a large extent, the cat is out of the bag. I think, in all honesty, I think fractionalization is 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 already probably more prevalent than people realise. Some companies are more explicit about it than others. With The interesting thing, I mentioned Mintus earlier, where you buy a specific or a share of a specific piece of art. Um, but there are companies that will do the same with property. Uh, there are companies that will do the same with batches of wine or whiskey, um, cars. Uh, I mean, if, even look at things like cryptocurrency. You don't. Most people don't tend to buy a whole Bitcoin. Um, they will often buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. Um, certainly with companies, the, the same is true. So it, it, it's an interesting area. I think that, that it's something that's going to become more obvious and, and um, sort of more generally recognised in the next 12 to 18 months um, as, the, as the sort of people recognise the, the value of the potential and the, ch- the fact that as a private investor, you can potentially buy things or shares of things that you could never have afforded. Um, in the past, you know, but buying a piece of art is beyond a lot of people, uh, or perhaps might be considered a bit too risky for many people. Whereas buying a, 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 piece, a little piece of art, or a little bit, a section of some art, um, or you know, potentially buying little bits and pieces of multiple assets is a good way of going about it and a good way of getting into it. And, and hopefully, as, as I've said already, sort of hedging your bets and broadening your portfolio without overly exposing yourself. I've always felt that that could actually end up becoming a new avenue of private capital into a lot of different projects, um, um, including things like the music industry. Um, I know we're seeing some specialist investment trusts now mm. that are buying up music back catalogs, but I could see also early stage 
artists who are at an earlier stage in their career actually benefiting by by selling fractionalized shares in in um, uh, songs that they're putting out much earlier on um, rather than someone who's already established absolutely i mean the potential for for the once the basic technology is there as it is the potential for it is significant it can go to so many different places and as you say it, it, it hopefully it enables capital to go where it's needed which has always been sort of the the, the ideal scenario isn't it I wanted to pick up on something else you mentioned. Uh, you, you you said that you're still actually signing up companies at the moment. So if there's anyone who's um, got a, a listed company who's interested in, in sponsoring or participating, um, there's still room for them to get on board? Yes, yes. We, we, we're down to, I think we've only got a, 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 a handful, possibly less, of speaking slots left. There are still a couple. Um but the venue itself, one of the things we like about the Business Design Centre is it's enormous. We've always got space and ways to um, to, to add additional space. Um, so if companies want to meet private investors, and I think with the way private equity has been going the last 12 months, a lot of companies do want to meet private investors now. Um, it's a golden opportunity to put the two together. Um, it's quite hard to find many opportunities, I would say, where a company can engage with so many private investors in a in, in a single hit, um, and you get some really high quality conversations as a consequence. Yeah, that that has been my experience as well. Is the ability to actually cover a lot of ground and talk to a lot of um, CEOs and IR guys under the same roof in a relatively short period of time. Is it only going to be? UK listed companies or will there be overseas as well? No, no, not at all. So we've certainly got companies coming from Canada and Australia. Uh, I think we've possibly got some coming from Africa, uh, some European companies. I think I, I need to need to confirm there's a couple there that I, I need to nail down. But I think um, we should have a, a broad selection. There's always going to be a UK bias inevitably, but we do try to make sure people can can access uh, are exposed to opportunities that perhaps they wouldn't immediately think of. I don't know how many people will actively track the Australian or the Canadian stock exchanges, for example. Um, but there are some, you know, there are some really interesting companies there. Um, so we, we want to try and bring those over and give them a chance to uh, to, to meet our, our audience. And you mentioned the fact that the J.P. Morgan guys will be presenting. Are there any other sort of keynote speakers you think people ought to catch on the day? Well, the, 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 certainly there are. So J.P. Morgan with, with Helger and Guy um, will, will be good. Jim Mellon is always um, very popular, so he'll be, um, he'll be speaking in the middle of the day, and I think he'll, he'll be addressing a lot of the themes that we've, we've touched on. Um, we've got one of, the, one of the things that we've tried to do this year is to add expert speakers. You've always got the companies and the investors. but um, So obviously you and I were talking earlier about the, the small cap panel, um, featuring yourself and, and Sam Volkering and, and, and a couple of others. So we've got people whose day-to-day job is to look at investments um, sort of will be speaking. I think that will be interesting. A number of the master investor writers who I know our audience follow quite closely. So people like Mark Watson-Mitchell, who's obviously very keen on small caps, Jonathan Davis, who spends a lot of time investigating trusts and funds, um, Victor Hill, who tends to look at the sort of the more macro um perspectives um so yeah we, we, we've, we've got some really interesting um sort of experts speaking we've also uh, got people like Stephen new of blue whale who, who went down very well last year 
Um, I think his 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 outtake or his outlook, I should say, on on investing is uh, is an interesting one, and certainly a lot of people came away sort of speaking very positively about that. So it will be interesting to hear from him again as well. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a really great day. And uh, someone who wants to wants to go along, um, uh, what can they do? Um, do they have to register in advance? Do they just turn up on the day? And 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 is it free, or do you have to pay for it? There is a, pr- a ticket price of £25. However, if you register in advance, you can get in uh, free of charge. There are ticket codes, I believe, armchair being one of them. So if people go on the ticket website, enter the phrase armchair as the ticket code, they will get a free ticket. Um, certainly, it, it's it's better to, to register in advance because what we're able to do is to send out materials ahead of time so that people can investigate the companies who are repairing. It means that when you're there, you're listening to a company you know a little bit about. When you're speaking directly to them, you're able to ask informed questions. Um, it enables you to make, you know, you've only got one day. Um, it enables you to make the most of that time so that when you come away, you've got a really good idea of who you want to invest in and why. Um, so certainly it's worth registering in advance, partly because of the price, partly because you're able to do that sort of due diligence ahead of time. No, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And obviously, the armchair trader will be there as well um, with some of our core team. Um, so we're, we're obviously going to be um, available to chat to any of our readers who happen to be attending and, and looking forward to meeting them on the day. Uh, it was a, Last year was obviously a great, great opportunity to catch up with some of the guys who have been uh, following um, our news feed uh, so uh, obviously encourage people to come to our booth as well and, and talk to us looking forward to seeing you in person on the day as well tim yep yeah, i'm sure i'll be like a cat on a hot tin roof chasing around <laughs> but I, I am looking forward to it. i think after last year last year was a huge relief to get back to seeing people um and so this year i think the, the early signs are it's going to be bigger and better than ever so I, i'm uh, really looking forward to it You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.